You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart. I am pure from sin. That's false religion. I'm going to go and I'm going to do some things and I'm going to clean up my heart. I'm going to wash away my sin. Who can say that? The answer is no one. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Christ. When people are honest, they know. They've been lustful, greedy, proud, envious. Have I hit your sin yet? Sinfully angry, jealous, rebellious, selfish, defiant. Those sins Pastor Tom listed off may not seem that big of a deal to you. Why not complain if something isn't right? Or what's the problem with a little anger if it's justified? But as you'll learn in today's message, these seemingly little offenses are still considered sin to God. They're hurtful, selfish, and don't portray your Father in heaven. Pastor Tom will be encouraging you today to be honest about your speech and to recognize the times when you haven't been imitating Jesus with your words. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message, Wielding Your Tongue for Good or for Ill. Stumbling in some places in Scripture is not the same thing as falling into utter ruin. In Romans 11, 11, Paul asks the question, Has Israel, the nation of Israel, through their unbelief, have they stumbled so as to fall? And he says, No, God's not done with the nation of Israel. They ha- that God is going to uphold them and keep them and fulfill the promises that He has to them. They did stumble, but they didn't stumble so as to completely fall. God has a plan for that nation. God will hold our hands also. If we stumble, God says he will not let us go. And that's good because if I stumble, I may wonder if it's based upon my endurance, if it's based on my perseverance and faith, maybe that will run out one day and then what will happen to me? And so it's good when we're talking about stumbling, we remember the eternal security of God that he has our hand And I love the promise that's given in the benediction to the little letter of Jude there, second to last in the Bible, where he says, God is able to make you stand and to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in his glorious presence. So God will do that. As you stumble, he'll hold on to you. Now, since we all stumble in sin, nobody gets a pass here, okay? And no no one really gets to lecture anybody else. This is not me lecturing you. This is God's word lecturing all of us here, okay? Okay. None of us is a self-appointed paragon of virtue. We all have problems with the tongue. We all stumble. There is one exception, of course, who had a perfect mouth. Perfect mouth. We're going to point that out because the way you can really tell if someone's got a perfect mouth is put them through the most horrendous experience and insult them the most and whip them and beat them and find out what comes out of their mouth. Then you find out what's really inside. And I'll tell you, what's inside of me is not the same thing as what's inside of Christ because his mouth really was perfect. We're going to talk about that. But just before we get into talking about the tongue, I want you to notice that, that James here, in his own way, is affirming another doctrine of Scripture that's very important, and it is the doctrine of universal sin. Now, he's only talking about universal sin with the the tongue here in particular, but there's a sense in which it's broadened out because he says we all stumble in many ways. So by talking about sin as stumbling and saying we all do it, he's just basically said the same thing that Romans 3.23 says, that all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Universal sin. What does universal sin mean? It doesn't mean that sin came from out there in the universe. It means that all of us are sinners here. We all stumble in many ways. 
James included, by the way. James included because he changed then he used the first person plural there, right? And let's remember who James is. This is James surnamed the just, one of the greatest men ever in church history. James, the Lord's brother, grew up in the same household with Jesus Christ. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the senior pastor there. James, the presider over the first ecumenical council where all the churches came together, the Jerusalem council. James, whose reputation for godliness and for long hours of prayer on his knees was unsurpassed. Yet James says, we all stumble in many ways. He's a sinner too. He knew it. The Lutheran commentator Lenski writes this. This is James's great confession of sin in this letter. Because sin really is a universal reality. It infects everybody. It infects human nature down to every boy and girl. Some of you parents with little kids are saying, amen, amen. Modern thought generally fancies human beings as making an evolutionary progress and getting better and better. Rather than viewing themselves in categories of morally evil or morally good, they just kind of see us making progress in our capabilities and usually having good intent or at least working towards good. Or those that are religious, usually the religions of the world think of mankind as generally speaking good, in good standing with God. Most people, when they're on the deathbed or getting near dead, they don't think about, well, I'm about to go to the judgment of God. Some do, but many think, oh, it's going to be a better place to go to, and it probably won't be for them, for many people, because mankind is rejected by God. We're sinners. Au contraire, says the Word of God. Scripture makes it abundantly clear we never evolve from lower forms of life. We were not endowed a lofty present status. We have plunged instead into corruption, into darkness, into decay. And we face a future time of of doom. The Bible speaks of love, but speaks the truth in love. Man is not on his way up. Man is on his way down. And he needs to be delivered from his stumbling, from his evil. Yes, we were specially and supernaturally created by God in his image. Yes, human life is, is sacred. Yes, we were placed on the planet to rule over it, but mankind rebelled against the word of God. The word and the command was given and we rebelled and since that time, life was taken from us and that rebellion corrupted our nature. All of human history really demonstrates the universal aspect of sin, the universal reality of sin. We look today and what do we see? We see wars and we see rumors of wars. We hear of oppression, destruction, disease, hatred. And also we always hear of this, universal death, talked about the guy who protected uh, President Reagan from the assassination attempt. No matter what noble things that people did in times past in, in wars or great things, they all eventually die. Death itself is the testimony that God has rejected our lives. He doesn't keep us alive. When he looks at the value of our life, he doesn't see value in this life. He lets it die. Otherwise, he'd redeem it. In Christ, he has, but by ourselves, he lets it die. And so only in Christ will we have a resurrection. By the way, Jesus, it says of him that death could not hold him down. Why not? Because he never sinned. He died for our sins, not his own. And so it was impossible for death to hold him down. He earned his resurrection. He deserved his resurrection. Ours will be of grace in him. 
The evidence of sin is everywhere. It's not just Romans 3.23. Romans 3.10 through 12 says there are none who are good. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? There are none who are good, not even one, it goes on to say. It even says together they've become useless. We're in such an age that tries to elevate man and say we need to think highly of ourselves and we're not junk and have a high esteem of yourself and love yourself. And there's the Bible saying together you have become useless to me. Now who preaches that anymore? Every newspaper, every news website testifies daily to the existence of sin, murders, rapes, mass shootings, brutality, terrorism, falsehoods, stealing, carousing, neglect, slander, divorce, assaults, injustice, perversion, and you can go on and on and on. Isn't it amazing when evil is done in society, the great minds get together on CNN or Fox or wherever it is, and they're like, it's mental illness. We have a problem with mental illness. I think their brains are working fine. You know, thoughts can't be sick, but they can be evil. Really, mental illness is a misnomer. The brain can be injured, and your soul can be sick, but thoughts don't get sick. Many in the world just don't understand evil. They don't know how to categorize it. It's not politically correct to even say that. Evil is reserved for the Hitlers and the worst kind of people instead of realizing we're all evil of nature. It infects the mind. It infects the soul. It infects how we think. It affects our relationships. It affects our approach to God. The first thing that Adam did after he sinned was to run and hide from who? From God. It was instantly part of his nature. If you want to know why people don't seek for God, look at Adam. When he sinned, he ran. God had to chase him. That's the true picture of salvation. No improvement of environment has ever come close to creating a utopian society. Socialism always fails. It's corrupted by proud, lazy class of people who begin to think over time, I deserve the benefits that were given to me. Capitalism often goes awry. Why? Because it gets corrupted by greed and power. The real problem is not the system of economics. The real problem is man's nature. Man's nature can take any good political or social environment and ruin it. Any system and destroy it. More money does not solve man's problems. More treatment does not change his nature. And more education simply makes a more educated sinner. The occupiers of Wall Street are just as much sinners as the workers of Wall Street. And no one can deny this judgment upon man because man's conscience bears witness. It's not just history that says it. It's not just scripture that says it. Each man's conscience also bears testimony to his own sin. We all stumble in many ways. Oh yeah, tell me something I don't know. Everyone is aware of this. They lie in public as if they think they're good, but inwardly they know their own motives. Their minds know their own minds, and God knows too. Any person who has any vestige of honesty left in him concurs with James here and will confess that truth before God on judgment day. Better to do it long before that day. James agrees with the wise men of old here, Proverbs 20 and verse 9. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart? I am pure from sin. That's false religion. I'm going to go and I'm going to do some things and I'm going to clean up my heart. I'm going to wash away my sin. Who can say that? The answer is no one. 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Christ. When people are honest, they know. They've been lustful, greedy, proud, envious. Have I hit your sin yet? Sinfully angry, jealous, rebellious, selfish, defiant, ignoble. Furthermore, because our conscience knows this, even often apart from any scripture at all, man understands that. Because he understands that, when his judgment towards others slips out of his mouth, it immediately boomerangs back and hits him. God won't have to do anything on judgment day except to play back the words people had where they condemned other people for their actions and show them doing the exact same thing, even if they never read scripture. That's all they need to prove. They knew it and they were outraged. They were incensed about the evil of other people and could not see it or did not want to see it in themselves. That's Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. That's the boomerang. That's the boomerang verse. So there's history, there's experience, there's man's conscience, and then there's the scriptures. You almost don't need the scriptures to understand the doctrine of universal sin. Genesis 6.5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Psalm 14, 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. See, some people fancy themselves, I'm that one, I'm the exception, I'm pretty good. Well, you've got a quarrel with God. And I tell you, it's better to settle that quarrel in this age before you get there and realize that this really was his word and he gave you plenty of opportunity to confess that this was true and turn from your sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, in case we need another. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. That includes Noah, who got drunk. That includes Abraham, who did some interesting things in doubt. That includes Moses, who struck a rock when he wasn't supposed to. David, who made a census of his people because of his pride. Who else we got in there? Solomon? Well, you know about him. Whoa. How many wives did that guy have? Did Paul ever sin? Yes. Peter? Oh, my goodness. Peter's sins were loud. Not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. 1 Kings 8.46, a lesser known verse. There is no man who does not sin. That's pretty simple. There is no man who does not sin. 1 Kings 8, 46. Then there's Romans 3, 23. How about Romans 5? Just as through one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That means we all sinned in Adam. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You get it? Are you with me? We all stumble. Men stumble. I didn't hear any amen from the ladies. That was your opportunity. <laughs> Let's start that over again. Men stumble. Yeah. Women stumble. Yeah. Kids stumble. Yeah. Parents stumble. Yeah. The wife stumbles. Amen. <laughs> the husband stumbles. And by the way, your boss stumbles, and uh, the workers that work for the boss stumble. The church leader stumbles. The elders stumble. 
All the leaders of the church stumble. Your small group leader stumbles. Your favorite singer stumbles. The person you look up to, discipled you, he stumbles. Every Christian stumbles. It's a lot of stink to go around. James does not use the word, but this truth immediately calls for showers of overflowing grace, don't you think? That's, that's been a, a dirty meditation. And it immediately calls for let's get under the showers of grace and mercy and remind ourselves that God washes it all clean. This fact alone, that we all stumble in many ways, ought to keep us from harsh judgments about it. Did you hear what so-and-so said? That is just so rude. I would never say anything like that. Except that I have. Judgments should be withheld when we know we are practitioners of the same. But he even says more, and I know I'm belaboring this, but I think it's important. We all stumble in many ways. Many is pola. Many, that's what it means. Many different kinds of ways, variety of ways. We don't all stumble in exactly the same way. See, the thing about sin is the other person who sins with a different kind of sin than my sin, that's the worst sin than my kind of sin. My sin's not all that bad. That kind of sin is inexcusable. It ought to be harsh church discipline there, and we ought to really come down on that sin, but not my sin. My sin's bad. We took care of that. You know, it's, it's understandable. <laughs> and that's how the carnal mind thinks, right? Why isn't the church doing more to stop people like that? Because that's now in the category of the worst sin. In your mind it is. In Scripture, it might not be. What are the variety of ways in which we sin? Well, we sin with the tongue. Let's start there. Gossip. Slander. That's backstabbing. Boasting, lying, and more. We sin with our spirit, our mind, jealousy, envy, bitterness. Husbands are told, don't be embittered against your wives. Anger for the wrong reasons, which is the usual anger. We sin with our bodies, fornication, laziness, drunkenness, gluttony. We sin with our minds, arrogance, idolatry. Vain imaginations. You could do a lot of things creatively with your mind that you ought never to do. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you what? Should do it. Doubt creeps into the mind. Doubt. There are sins of commission. You know what that is. We commit them. Stealing, lying, murdering, adultery. But often for church people, the greatest sins are sins of what? Omission, which means we omit to do things. How's your giving to the church. Do you need to have a three-part sermon series to teach you the importance of giving to the church? How is your uh, generosity towards brothers in need? How are you doing defending the helpless? Often we just kind of <laughs> just doing our own thing. We don't think of ourselves as sinners. But standing there and whistling can be sin. Doing nothing. There are multiple stains upon our reputation as human beings. And yes, sin with the tongue might be at the top of the list. Sin with the tongue is so prevalent. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, that already seems like James set it up as an impossibility, right? What an impossible feat. If anybody does not sin in what he says, well, that just is impossible. 
He is a perfect man. We all stumble in so many ways. If you could find a man, just one man, one man anywhere, who never, ever, ever stumbled in what he said, there you would find a perfect man. The tongue. Man, that little organ inside the mouth. Just that little thing. Brings forth so much stumbling. Why is the tongue so hard to control? The answer you're going to find in this passage, we'll deal with it more, is that our spirits and our thinking is hard to control. Our heart's motives are hard to control. The ease of sinning with the mouth is written and illustrated all over Scripture. Jewish literature was rife with warnings of sin. Proverbs 15, 28 for another. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You've been around a really wicked person and you know they just pour out wicked things. You feel dirty just being around them, don't you? Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips bring strife and his mouth calls for blows. Hit me. That's basically what a fool is saying. Punch me. I'm stupid. Give me a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are the snare of his soul. It's so well known that ancient man didn't need any supernatural revelation from God to figure out that the mouth was a huge, huge problem. It was well-attested in Hellenistic culture. The philosophers discussed the tongue. Their solutions were different than Scripture, but they often understood the same problem. None of them could master it. So if you control your tongue, you're a perfect man or woman. That word perfect, teleos, can mean either absolute perfection or often it should be translated as maturity of character. Its basic meaning is it's related to the word that we would translate as end, what's on the end or what is the goal to get to the end. And so it's something that's been brought to its intended end or goal. And since James just said that no one is sinlessly perfect, he's probably not thinking of sinless perfection here, but of maturity as he did back in chapter 1, verse 4, where it's translated or is thought of as maturity. Dan McCartney in his commentary has a helpful comment here. He says, Thus the point is not that a person who controls the tongue is totally and perfectly blameless, or that such a one has achieved total moral perfection. That would either contradict the previous clause, we all stumble, or be purely hypothetical. James's meaning is that such a person has become truly grown up in his faith, very mature in other words. An absolutely perfect mouth, we mentioned this before, would be the Lord Jesus Christ got to bring you back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, right? Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Find me one other human being where it can be said that at no time in their life was there deceit that was not found in their, in their life. No deceit. But it goes on. It says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. When are you most likely to revile somebody else? When they're reviling you, right? When you're put under the squeeze and they're saying untrue things about you and they're ripping at your character, you may tolerate it, you may clench your fists and bite your tongue and sooner or later you're going to find someone and you're going to say, that person was all over me today, they're a terrible person and you just begin reviling right back. That's what we do. And then it says, while suffering, he uttered no threats. If you have power and someone is causing you to suffer, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to reach for whatever that power is and you're going to give threats. And Christ from the cross uttered no threats at all. He kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. That's utter perfection of the mouth, people. When you are squeezed to the utmost, when you are yelled at, reviled at, humiliated, spat upon, stripped, 
flogged, threatened, laughed at, when vitriol comes your way from multiple locations and you can only say the kinds of things that Jesus Christ said from the cross, then you are absolutely a perfect person. The old man just jettisons out more reviling and vitriol in return. We curse, we get red hot, we get bent out of shape. We don't like to say we just sin, but that's what we do. How many ways are there to sin using just your words? Well, today, Pastor Tom told you a lot of them, and there are more. Your tongue is powerful, and when it's used poorly, you can damage a lot of people. Pastor Tom encouraged you today to look to the example of the only perfect man and see how he spoke. Jesus has a lot to teach you on the use of your words in every situation you may find yourself in. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. You've heard ways that you can fail in speaking, but how can you fix it? How can you stop the thoughts before they come out of your mouth? Join Pastor Tom next time on Discover Hope as he gives you some practical advice for this very thing. He'll encourage you to be real with yourself, to analyze what you've been saying and make change to it. Don't let your tongue control you. Take control back. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit hopebiblechurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.